Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. If you can, go to 2 Timothy, we made chapter 2. And we're going to look at only two verses today. But I feel like Paul has a lot to say in these verses. And it says this. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. So picture like the great house is, is church. It's, there's, a, there's a great house God is trying to build. And there's different vessels that he uses to be tools or another translation would be utensils to help build his house, build society, change the world. And he says, look, there's some of gold and silver, but there's also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. If we get rid of things that hold us back from the calling on our lives and everything that God wants to do, we will be seen honorable in the sight of God. But not only that, it says this, we're gonna be set apart as holy, useful to the master, and ready for every good work. Set apart, useful, and ready for every good work. But it starts by making a commitment to cleanse ourselves from anything that's hindering us from going all in with Jesus. And how do you know that's, that's easier said than done sometimes? So if you're taking notes, what I wanna talk about, the subject is courage under fire courage under fire. I think more than ever, the way that America's going, society's going, our city's going, we need more Christians with courage, not just here in the building, but in our worlds every single day. And so I pray today you're encouraged and challenged by the message, and that we can leave here with courage under fire. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for your spirit being here. We pray that you would just, God, we invite you here. We invite your presence, speak, challenge, encourage, teach. Pray that you would speak clearly to every single person. Maybe there's a specific need, a specific prayer request. Maybe there's just situations going on in their lives, God, that only you can speak to. And we just pray that today it would be clear that your word would come alive in our hearts and speak to us directly to what we need. We also pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Jesus, they don't have a relationship with you, pray today would be the day that we make the greatest decision of their entire life to put their life in your hands. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen. 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 Guys, I'm really excited. It's the best time of the year. It's not Christmas, but it's football season. That's right. And the football is incredible. Sports are amazing. I really feel bad for anybody that doesn't get into sports. I mean, it's not for everybody, but football season is awesome. Football season, going after your favorite team, getting together with family members, getting together with friends, going over somebody's house, cracking open some bottles of water, and just, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's fun to watch. The 9 a.m. loved that joke, because they're a bunch of alcoholics. That's the problem. And uh, I was like, wow, everybody laughed. Everybody drinks water. That's amazing. But there's nothing like it. Like, there's nothing like barbecuing. It's just an incredible time of the year where you get together with family and friends. And I love it. But there's also like a dark side of sports where you could be miserable and borderline depressed. And there's a group of people that are in charge or have a lot of say on your emotions. And that group of people is called the referees. And the referees might be more hated than anybody that works in the IRS. 
And if you work for the IRS, God loves you. That's what matters. And um, it's just they, they, because they have so much power to dictate the game, what happens during this game, if it goes for your team, if it goes, for, like every time you watch your team and they're away, doesn't it feel like every call goes against your team? Every single time. And you're like, there's no way the refs are unbiased, right? There's no way that they're influenced by the players, by the coaches and the fans. There's no way. Well, one researcher actually wanted to answer that question. So there is a peer-reviewed article by a man named Michael Lopez. He's a researcher at Skidmore College in New York. And he was like, hey, I want to see if referees are influenced heavily by the outside voices in a game. Basketball, football, but he, he mostly looked at the NFL. So he watched five years of NFL games, about 1,400 penalty calls. And what he would do was he would measure how often a team would get a call depending on where the sideline was. So it went in favor of the home team or it went in favor of the away team. And in the end, what he found out was that intimidation works. Like that was his end result. Like intimidation works. If you scream at the refs, if you put pressure in their face, if the fans are really loud, you will most likely get a call in your favor because they cave in under pressure. And I hate to say it, but sometimes we could be like these referees. Like, think about it. We make a decision to follow Jesus. We make a decision to change our lives. I want to have a brand new year. I have a New Year's resolution. I want a new diet I'm going to start. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to get off social media. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. We make a decision, but what happens when we experience pressure? Pressure from society, pressure from our families, pressure from culture, pressure from social media, and all of a sudden, it's opposite views, it's opposite opinions, it's opposite mindset, pressuring constantly over and over and over. And really what, the, what happens is it can lead us to a point where we have our convictions for Jesus, that we're all in for Jesus, and all of a sudden, we're compromising everything that we believed in. We're changing our mind. We're changing our lifestyle. We're no longer worried about our future in God. We're, no, we're, we're settling for less than what God desires for us. We're settling for a standard less than God's plan for our life when we compromise due to pressure from outside sources. Because maybe you're in here and you're like the only one in your family that believes in Jesus. So the dinner table is really awkward. And so there's pressure. Pressure to compromise. Pressure to believe that what you're saying and what you believe in is wrong. It doesn't make a difference. Maybe you're going to college and you're not going to a Christian school and, and right now colleges, the agenda is to warp our young people to believe in ideas that are not gonna help this country. It's just the truth. And, and so what happens is you can go to college and you're a believer and you wanna reach your campus for Jesus, but you go to one party and you get invited to another party and you get invited to this, this relationship and pretty soon we compromise our convictions. And here's what I believe, that the more pressure from culture, the faster people cave in. It only gets to, there's a point where it's like, man, enough is enough. And I think I'm, I'm maybe I'm, I'm judging or I'm mis, miscalculating what I believe in. Maybe what I believe in isn't correct. Maybe I had it all wrong. Maybe it was more emotional. Maybe it was more feeling driven. Maybe my relationship with Jesus isn't have to be this strict or this, whatever it may be, because all around us are opposing views. And these views can get so loud that it causes us to question everything. The more we're on social media, the more we're on the news outlets, the more we're watching all these things, it gets to the point where we start to question everything about our faith. And we can cave in to the very things we were trying to get free from. And you know, you know what really what we're caving into is we're caving into this term called worldliness. 
something that we speak about in church, but maybe you haven't heard of it, or maybe you, you've heard of it, but don't have a real clear understanding. Worldliness is this. Worldliness is sin of the world separating people made in the image of God from God. It's thinking and behaving like unbelievers do. And so I gave my life to Jesus. I joined the Connect Group. I'm on Dream Team. I'm going on this journey, getting closer to Jesus, finding out more about myself and the things I need to change. But, but all of a sudden now, because I'm caving into worldliness, I start looking like the person that God saved me. Like I start looking like my past self. I start looking like my friend group. I start looking like the music I listen to. I start looking like the movies I watch. I start looking at the accounts and I start becoming like those things. It's, it's going back and not having a sustainable life in Jesus. I love this quote by David Wells. He says this, Worldliness is what, what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. Don't tell me that's not happening right now. There's never been anybody that I've told that I'm a Christian and they don't have a weird reaction to it. <laughs> it's strange. Sin? doing bad, like what, worshiping, reading your Bible. It, it is strange in the times that we're living in. And sin seems better and more okay than actually living a life where your life can change following Jesus. But here's the thing. It doesn't shock us that compromise is happening all over society and it's tracking more and more and that worldliness is becoming literally what's happening everywhere and that lifestyle is getting more popular. That's, that's been happening since sin first entered the world. The problem is, is when it starts getting into the church. And, and we not, not only do we compromise in the world, now we compromise in church, in our community, in our safe place. And, and it can be dangerous because we're living in times where even people in church can deconstruct. They can go back on their faith. They once believed something and now they're like, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Our faith dwindles. Our, our, like, we don't really believe that the grace of God can cover all of our sins. And there's just questions and doubts. Not that doubting is wrong, but it's causing us to live a life where we're on the edge of leaving our faith altogether. And so what happens is, I think there's three ways that compromise can enter the church. And if, if we have compromise in these areas, then we, we might be in trouble. And, and one of the areas is when we start compromising the Bible. There's compromise of, of is this the authority of God or not? And here's what I'll say, that if you don't know anything the Bible says, you'll believe everything culture says. That is a fact. If you have no idea what God says about every single topic or everything happening around in your life, and I'm not talking about hot, like hot topics happening in politics right now. I'm just talking about how do you handle bitterness? How do you handle forgiveness? How do you date? Like what is sex in the, in the role of marriage? Like these things, all walks of life, the Bible has a lot of things to say about a lot going on in our world, but if we don't know, we'll see something on social media, we'll see a newscaster, somebody, a, a, an influencer that we like, somebody that we follow, and what they say or how they say it, we'll be like, man, that sounds pretty right. That sounds kind of, kind of true. And then we start telling that to other people, and it gets affirmed to other groups who don't believe the same things you believe, and so now you're like, okay, I don't know what to believe. Like, what does the Bible say about this? I don't know if I really agree with that. And, and here's the thing, Satan wants nothing more than for you to question the authority of the Bible. Why? Because it's filled with promises about your destiny. Good promises, incredible promises about your marriage, about your family, about your personal life, about your future, your eternal life. The Bible is full of things that can change you from the inside out. So of course, if Satan can confuse us and put people in our lives that make us question it, he wants that to happen. If he can make you dislike the Bible, he can help you ruin your life. Simple as that. 
as this is, I, I hope we're catching this. this is, and here's the thing. This is, this is stuff we've been talking about throughout every series. I feel like this verse or these verses get brought up. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to read starting in verse 3. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers, people, anybody who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, for they will reject truth and chase after myths. What happens when you are stuck between what God wants and what you want? What happens? The right answer is you choose what God wants. But the problem is you don't know what God wants. And so where do we go from here? And if you're in that place, there is, there is hope for you. This, is, this doesn't have to be your life. We have resources here. There's people here. This is what the church is for. That whenever there's an opportunity in your life and you feel like you have a major decision, you have people that can pray for you. You have people that can help you understand scripture. But there's got to be something in us that I cannot compromise the Bible. Second compromise that I see can happen in the church is we have a compromise of morality, of right and wrong. Like what is right and what is wrong? Think about it. There's a lot of things in society right now, a lot of things in America. There's a lot of gray areas. And if we don't know what the Bible says, it'll be hard to know what is right and wrong. And look what it says in Isaiah 5. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So if you don't know right and wrong, you, you might think something is good, but it's actually evil. Or you might think something's evil, but it's actually good because you know right and wrong. And so this is, this is an interesting place to be. Like, it's like, am I pro-life? or pro-choice? Do I add pronouns to my profile or do I not? Like, what do I do? There's gray areas. What does the Bible say? Where do I go? How do I handle this? What is my moral compass? Where, like, who drives my moral compass? I love this quote by Theo Hobson. It says, three marks of a moral revelation. What was universally condemned is now celebrated. What was universally celebrated is now condemned. And those who refuse to celebrate are condemned. And so here's the thing. God's word is the truth. And even if you say it nicely, graciously, you're still going to be hated for it. But at least you'll know what is right from wrong. And when you stand before God in heaven, you will be judged correctly. And you will know what you did was right. And it affected my family. It affected my life. It helped me become a better human being. But it's not always going to be nice and easy sometimes. But we got to know for our own personal lives, especially parents, what is right and wrong? Because if we don't know what's right and wrong, it'll be very confusing, and that confusion will lead down to our children, and then we're going to have a society full of confused people. So we have to be careful. It's more than just good and bad. It's what does the Bible have to say? And then third compromise I can see in the church is a compromise of leadership. This is when pastors, leaders, politicians, athletes, stars, influencers, they give in to scandal, sex, money, power. And, and the problem is that we follow them. We follow them to see what leadership looks like or what influence looks like. And the problem is spiritual leadership is not something to play with. It's a gift from God. Being a father is a gift. Being a mother is a gift. Having a job where you influence people is a gift. Being an older brother is a gift. Being an older sister is a gift. Being a friend that has people, it's a gift from God to have a say in people's lives. But here's the thing. In church, if we mishandle our spiritual leadership, the gift that God has given us, we can be the very thing that causes people never to step foot into this building. And that's dangerous. And we got to take it, we can't take this lightly. Like, I don't want my cousins or the family members that I have in my life 
to look at my life and be like, he goes to church, but he's still doing the same things we do? Like, I, like, I don't want that. It's, I, I live with the fear of God. We, like, your leadership matters. And here's the thing. All of you are called to be leaders. And so how do we fight compromise? We commit to our leadership calling. This is what Paul is telling Timothy right here. He's saying, hey, in this great house, there are vessels, there are people, there are leaders that I want to use as gold and silver to be influencers in the city of Miami, in their homes, in their marriages, in their families. I'm looking for the right vessel. Who can I use? Who can I give power to? Who can I give anointing to? Who can I give influence to? Who can I have somebody, who can I trust to give the power of the Holy Spirit to? This is what Paul's telling you. He's like, hey, Timothy, look, there's a great house and there's vessels, but some are, are used for honorable use and some are used for dishonorable use. But he says there's a way to commit to be somebody of honorable use, of good, of, of integrity. It's, it's you got to cleanse yourself. You ever, you ever ask yourself, who is it that God uses? Like, who does he use? Like, I read my Bible and these are the type of people that he uses, but... But even though we see the flaws in so many people, we just, we just went through running, running with horses and we saw so many people who God used for incredible things but were broken vessels. And we still hear messages like that and still think that God can't use us. Because we think that oh, God only uses pastors, positive people. Right? We all know those like uber positive people in our life where like nothing goes wrong, that everything in their life could be a mess, but they're always positive. Like, of course God can use them. They're always positive. Educated people. People that are like good at math and stuff like that, like those, like you can use them. I use math because I'm terrible at math and I feel like all smart people are just good at math. That's just my, that's my thinking. But those are the only people that he can use. The truth is he can use anybody. Any educational background, any, any racial background, any upbringing, whether you have it all together or you don't have it all together, he can use anybody. But, but listen to me before, before you get amen. There's a secret though. And, and the secret is, like, he can use anybody. He can use anything. Like, he used a donkey in Scripture. But here's the secret. You have to be consecrated. And you're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> consecration, what is that? What is consecration? It's a word in the Bible that maybe we've skipped over. Like, I don't know what that means. So I'm, gonna not even, I'm not even going to read it. But I promise you, learning what this is can save your life. Consecration defined is a separation from oneself from things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God. Consecration is not perfection, but is realizing there's things in my life that need to be removed from my life in order to stay, to stay close to the God that saved me from my sin. The one who restored my marriage, the one who brought my children to a youth camp to get saved, the one who can do all things that are impossible. And I don't want anything to hinder that relation between me and a holy and perfect God. And so what do I do? I cleanse myself. It's a, if it's a pornography addiction, I get rid of it. I don't, want my eyes to be, I don't want my eyes to be unclean and see those things. And it affects my marriage. It affects my dating life. If, it, if it's certain music, if it's certain movies, if it's certain people, I just don't. I want to protect my life so God can see my life and say, this is a person that I can use to change a whole city. And I have to be consecrated. It's a, it's a cleaning term. It's a washing term. And that could be done through prayer. It could be done through confessing to somebody, having a pastor talk to. It's making sure that whatever's inside of you that is hurting you gets out before God and gets healed. It's consecration. 
I'll give you an example, and I'll try to illustrate this point so we can even understand it even deeper. I remember when me and Danny first bought our house and our second bedroom, we didn't really use it for anything. We just moved in, and we kind of just used it for storage. We put an old mattress in there. It was, the paint was all jacked up. It was like white and gray mixed. It was weird. There was no AC in there. Like we usually, I would put my extra shoes or clothes. It was just kind of like a storage slash it's there if we need it for anything. But all that changed the moment we found out we were having a child. We're like, oh man, we're about to have a kid. Eden's like, we named her Eden. What, what, like, where's, where's she gonna sleep? Where do we put her? And we're like, oh my God, the second bedroom. So the second bedroom had to change. It could not stay the same way that it was. And so we literally got the extra matches out. I got all my shoes out, all my clothes. We painted, my wife painted and did all the stuff. And it was really nice. It was, she, she made it beautiful. It was incredible. We set things apart for the baby. We brought things in for the baby. We wanted to make something special for someone special. Things had to change. It couldn't stay the same. That when we brought the baby home, it could not be disgusting, dirty. Like it had to be perfect. It had to be beautiful. It had to be clean. So that there could be life inside of this room and that this child can have a home. God wants your heart to be his home. But there's things that we just got to get rid of. And, 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 and we're wondering what's, what's happening, what's, what's going on. Like, why, why, can't, why can't I be used? Why, why hasn't God answered my prayer? Why hasn't God helped me? Before we get into all that, you have to understand something real quick. That you were made in the image of God for a special purpose. You have no purpose in this world. Let me tell you, you do have one. It may not be your specific purpose, whether it's to be a doctor, lawyer, or whatever, but you wake up every day with the greatest news of all time, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that he's alive from the dead, and that he can help you. He can remove your sins. He can heal you from your past. You have that message. You experience that message. So when you wake up, your life should be an, an example of that message. You wake up every day because you have a purpose. You're made in the image of God for something incredible. But the problem is we waste our life on lesser things. And then we wonder why God hasn't done anything in our lives. Yes, God is grace. Yes, God is love. Yes, he's mercy. But he wants us to be not the same person that we were five years ago. I, I just remember growing up and my goal and my dream, I, I started playing football when I was eight years old. It was all I knew. Literally, I, I was playing football all the time, organized sports and all, all that stuff. And my goal was when I was a freshman in high school, I wanted to play college football. I knew I was going to make the NFL because I'm 5'7 and I'm Cuban. I get it. I'm a realist, okay? I, I, it, was, it was a normal, yeah, I get it. But I wanted to play college football. And, and I, I really felt talking to my dad, he pushed me and the people around me like, hey, this is a real possibility. And the moment I made that decision, I was held accountable by the people around me that, hey, you wanted this dream. You wanted this to happen. Are you going to put in the work? Are you going to do, here's the thing. It, it took sacrifice, a lot of it. And you could ask my dad because I would complain all the time about it. My summers were not the funnest. They were, they were terrible. I wasn't hanging out with friends. I mean, every once in a while, but we would take some vacations. It was, it was a normal vacation or it was a normal summer for everybody, but not for me. Waking up at ungodly hours, drinking protein shakes all the time. It was terrible. But I didn't want to go to college and just ride the bench. I didn't want to just show up and take somebody's degree. I didn't want to go out and show up and just, just breathe air in the locker room and like just be that guy. No, I wanted somebody, or I wanted the coach to look at me as somebody and goes, hey, this guy, 
he can help this program win. I see this guy, and he can help this program take off. Like, like, they look at my life, they look at my work ethic, and they go, this is a guy that we can trust. This is a guy that we can use. And I wonder if you realize what God is trying to do in this room right now. First Peter 3.12 uh, says this, the eyes of the Lord are watching over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Listen to me, church, like God is looking in this row, in this section, for somebody to make a difference. He's looking for a mom. He's looking for a dad. He's looking for a friend to make a difference. Not to come to church and just take up the oxygen. Not to come to church and just be, like, play church. He is looking for somebody to make a literal difference in this world. Listen to me. Don't you want your family to be influenced by your life? Don't you want your friends to be influenced by your life? Don't you want your friends to go from hell to heaven? Don't you want your friends to understand the gospel of Jesus? It starts with realizing that he's waiting on you God is ready God is looking he's searching but can you be somebody that he can say I can use this person doesn't matter what we already talked about that there's no excuse doesn't matter if you're not smart enough doesn't matter what called you into doesn't matter what your background is doesn't matter what your life looks like he can use it but there has to be a decision to believe like if God's going to use me I got to do some things in my life I got to change I can't keep living the same way we need more people to step in to have courage under fire more than ever. Because I think we have a lot of people courage on fire. Anybody can get on fire at church. Go to youth camp and be on fire. Come to a worship night and get on fire. But can you have courage under fire? When people are against you. When people are putting you down for what you believe in. Because here's what I believe. In times of compromise, we need people of courage. I, I just believe that there's people in this room that God is waiting for you to, to step up and to stand out and to be the person that looks at something that is not right and says, hey, that is not right. What is happening with our kids is not right. What's happening in this workplace is not right. And I'm going to be courageous about my faith because it takes courage to be a Christian. It takes courage to believe in Jesus. It takes courage to fight for your family. It takes courage to stand up when everything around you is saying, hey, think like this, talk like this, do that, do this. It takes courage to be be different anybody can be like everybody else but that's not what God called you to it's not what he called us to Calvary needs to be a church where we stand up for things that are not right with grace and truth but the same thing in our homes if our marriage is falling apart get that fixed get it right if your kids are far away bring them on a Friday night like, like we got things to do and God wants to use you and your family not just to make a difference in your world. I mean, your influence, is, it matters. Like, like we have to realize this is not the job of five people. It's your influence that can make a difference, but it starts with consecration. Having courage under fire. To stand up when everybody's telling you to sit down, be quiet, what you're believing is wrong. You're a bigot. You're a, you're, you're a hypocrite. What's wrong with you? I just feel like if we don't know how to do this now, when the times come, and, and the times are coming where people, the, the Bible says it's like script, there's gonna be a time where people are not gonna wanna hear the truth. Will you be ready to fight for your family? Will you be ready to fight for your marriage? Will you be ready to consecrate yourself, cleanse yourself from anything that is ungodly so you could be the person that God can use to spread the greatest message ever told? And so I just believe consecration matters more than ever. And there's, there's things that consecration 
is and there's something that consecration is not. And I wanna help us understand what those things are. And so the first thing is consecration is romantic, it's not religious. So what, what do I mean? Consecrate, you are consecrated to a person, not a church building, not a religion. Like you are consecrated to Jesus. You are in a relationship with Jesus, the son of God. Like, have we forgotten what relationships, the work, the work they take? Have we forgotten what a, a healthy relationship looks like? Because our, like the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 night that we are God's very own possession. He wants to be close to us. He wants to be near us. He wants our attention. He wants our love. He wants our focus. He wants our worship. But, but do we give that to him? Like, do we, like, how do we view God? Because here's what I know. God is a lover. He's not a moral policeman. How you view God matters. If you view God as somebody who's looking at your rights and wrongs and just cracking down on, like, he's just like, oh, you messed up again. Oh, you messed up again. Look how you did this. You watched this. You did that. You smoked that. You drank that. You said that. You, like, if we just think that God is looking out for every mistake, then we are sadly mistaken. That, that is not the God that we serve. He's a lover that wants to be close to you because the Bible says he's our safe refuge. He's our hiding place. But he can't hide you from the things of this world. He can't be a safe refuge if you're out in the danger by yourself. You're out in danger. You're out trying to fix your own problems. Like that's not how this works. When you consecrate yourself, you're saying, you are literally getting to a place where you're saying, God, what I am doing is causing a mess in my life. I, I pray that you would cleanse me and let me get close to you again. Like think about, think about your engagement period. We have some leaders that are engaged now and are going through that process, but maybe you can think back of the time you were engaged and you got every piece of paper and it was like, why are there so many zeros? Why does cake cost so much money? Go to Carvel and get like a $5 cake. Like, I don't, I don't know, just make it nice, color it, paint it, I don't know. It's so expensive. It's so cost, costly. But not just with monetary fees, but also with time, right? Like, like fellas, when we were getting engaged, like we couldn't hang out with the boys no more. I had to pick between roses and tulips and this and that. Like, I can't go, I can't go to sports girl, bro. I gotta, I gotta figure out these flowers, man. I can't hang out. Can't do that. Got a budget. Meeting PB and J's for about three months. Gotta pay for this vacation. We gotta pay for this honeymoon. Like your life changes. Why? Because you said yes to somebody forever. You, you say no to every other lover and say yes to the one person you committed to. And so there's decisions, there's things that you do. That's what it means to be consecrated to Jesus. I'm not gonna let any other lover or things that I love get in the way of the commitment I made before Jesus. Second thing consecration helps is it, it gives us boundaries. Consecration demands boundaries, not living unbound. This is, okay, listen, like we, as Christians, we need boundaries. Like boundaries, they help us. They keep us from hurting ourselves. They keep us from ruining our lives. We cannot follow Jesus and have no boundaries in our lives. But here's the, here's the, the misconception. Because you're like, okay, well, where do, I, where do I set my boundaries, Phil? Here's the thing. You don't. What? Like, you don't. God does. There's boundaries in here for you. Like, like God has a plan. God has boundaries. God has things in here to help you, to make you thrive, to give you, like, to, to take care of you. I'll give you an example. In the Bible, it says this in Exodus 19. This is Moses getting instruction from God. He says, says this, uh, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. 
and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. He's gonna, so God was gonna come down in front of all these people, the people of Israel. But look at what, look, look what God tells them. But you shall set limits for all people. He says, no, here's, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Here's the boundaries. Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You're gonna die. Don't touch the mountain. No hand shall touch him, or he shall be stoned or shot. Whatever a beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they will shall come up. There was boundaries. And it wasn't to like restrict their life from having fun. It was like, no, if you touch that mountain, you're going to die, my man. Like these are here to save you from ruining your life. But notice who gave the boundary. Notice who established the boundary and then who enforced them because that's how we do boundaries. God sets them, you establish them, and then both you and God enforce them. Like, what do I do to have a healthy marriage? Well, first, how was your dating experience? Because here's the thing, there is boundaries of how to date somebody. Like, we have boundaries how to protect our marriages when it comes to sex. Like, if I, if I, don't, if I look at God's boundary for sex before marriage, and I go, God, that's great, but I'm not gonna do that, then what you're doing is you're taking away a blessing from your wife and from your husband. Because God designed it where it's like, if you can hold out till marriage, if you can protect this, you'll flourish. You know, there's stats that say that people that have sex before marriage are, are more likely to get divorced than people that don't. That, that's a stat from the world. And so these boundaries are not, they work because it was God who set them. And so consecration is like, okay, if I'm going to cleanse myself and keep myself from being dishonorable, I need to set boundaries and perimeters in my life. I want to be a horse that has nothing to look left or right. I want to follow the race and following Jesus. Third and final thing is this, is that consecration gives power to the powerless. I think about the city of Miami. And if I was asked you what you think about Miami, I think a lot of us would all come around the same agreement. Like Miami is this party scene. Miami is this nightlife capital. Miami is like great food, great bars. People come to be seen, to be noticed, to model, to see, to, to, to show, uh, look at the money I have, look at the status I have. Money can be that very type of stigma that if you ask anybody in the country, that's what, my, that's what they think of Miami. It's the type of life. People have different passions. People have different devotions. People, people are going after certain things. But would you believe me if I also told you that despite all those things, Miami was still a place that's ready for revival? Like, and here's what I mean. What I mean is like, what if people heard a message that they don't have to put those passions in those things anymore, but they can take the passions that they have for those things and now point them towards God? What would happen to this city? What would happen to this church? What would happen to our lives? Think about something that you are super passionate about. Like, what if you took that same passion for reading scripture, for getting worship on your own time, not on Sunday only, for praying for your spouse, praying for your kids? I think we don't have power in our life because we have misplaced passions in our life. And I really believe that if some of us just turn our direction and say, man, I'm, I'm done going after these lesser things and I'm going after everything God has for me with reckless abandon, I promise you, your life will change and you'll notice it. It'll be instant because you're saying no to the things that are hurting you and saying yes to being a vessel used by God. Like, I'll finish with this. Like, can you be a person that is trusted with power? Because here's the thing, we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we give our lives to Jesus and we surrender our lives to Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't have to ask for it anymore. You have power. But can you be trusted with that power? Because I know one thing, God is tired of giving his power to corrupted vessels. And we need people, we need marriages, we need families where the heads of our household are not corrupted vessels, but they're men of God, women of God who love God. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together. None of us do. But we're saying, hey, that's not gonna be an excuse for me to go into sin. So I ask you, can you be a person trusted with power today? Why don't we stand up to our feet? So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I just wanna give you an opportunity. If that resonated with you, you're saying, Phil, I need to get my life together. I don't have God, I know I need God. I've been trying to do things by my own strength. I've been trying to do things by myself. And I just need him, I need him, I need him, I'm desperate, I need him. I need forgiveness of my sins, I need a brand new start. I wanna have a, a, a brand new beginning. Here's the thing, all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. So, so in this moment, if you're saying, Phil, I wanna give my life to Jesus, I wanna surrender to him, I wanna, I wanna give him my everything, my whole being, my whole life, I'm gonna give you the opportunity. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not gonna put a mic in your face. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for and you can put it right back down. It's between you and Jesus. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for next month. Get your life with God today. One, two, three. You lift up your hand if you wanna give your life to Jesus. God bless you. 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 Awesome. You can put your hands down. Amazing. I want to lead you in this prayer to repeat after me prayer and um, this is you talking to Jesus we just want to help make this prayer easy for you I'm gonna help this prayer make sure that you you just you just know that as you're praying this you are literally talking to your Heavenly Father and your life is gonna change from here on out maybe you don't have all the questions or maybe you don't have all the answers you don't know what that looks like that's okay this is the decision you need to worry about the most and the church will help you along the way Church, let's say this prayer alongside of them. It's a repeat after me prayer. I want to make this first one easy for you. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I invite you inside my heart to be my friend, to be my Savior, to be my God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together. Amazing. It's the best part of service. So many hands went up. And uh, seriously, we're, we're, we're so delighted that you would make this decision. We're so delighted that you would that you would make a decision to follow after Jesus. And so here's what we want to do. We want to make this day special for you. And so after service, we got a gift for you. And uh, we want to give you this gift. It's free of charge. There's no, like, like you're not going to get anything in the mail and be like, hey, you owe us five bucks. No, it's free. And uh, there's a, an incredible Bible, super easy to read, has resources. We want to make sure that we get this in your hands. So right after service, before you get to your car, before you head to lunch, let's get this gift. Let's hang out and see all the people getting baptized. And make sure you do not leave here without one of these. It's going to bless your life. But let's put our hands together one more time for every single person that gave their life.